Okay, we're going to get into the Word and uh, have a little fun today, hopefully. So um, I'm going to open up to the book of Philippians, and I'm just going to read a couple of verses out of here real quick, starting in verse 1 of Philippians chapter 2. And there it says this, Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from His love, If any common sharing in the Spirit, any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the other. Verse 5. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. I'm just going to pray. Christ Jesus, I thank you for the mindset with which you came to earth and displayed for us. Thank you that you did not come and try to prove anything to anyone, but you came with a heart of surrender to the Father and obedience to really His will, that there be a sacrifice made to draw all men back to Himself. Thank You, Lord Jesus, for not considering Yourself, but instead considering us first. And even in love, teaching us the way of the Father, showing us how to live and correcting us where we need that correcting always in love and humility and gentleness and for the purpose of bringing us closer, closing the gap that had been between us and the Father. Thank you, Lord. We love you and we honor you and I ask that this morning as we read your word and talk about what you are saying and doing amongst us, that you challenge us and I pray, God, that you would help our hearts to be soft enough to receive your challenge. Soft enough to receive the shaping and molding that your word would impress upon us so that we can take that shape. It wouldn't bounce off us and fall to the ground, but that we would form as your words come at us in shape. We thank you. We love you. In your holy name we pray. Amen. Amen. So as you guys know, um, last week, for those of you who were here last week, we were talking about um, we were talking about our identity. We were talking about coming together as one body in Christ and what that what that means for us now, and and really now what our mission is. And mission is really it's it's a common goal that a person or an organization uh, it helps them to keep focused on what are the top priorities, the clearly stated purpose or goals that you have for succeeding. It really defines, defines your purpose, your cause. And so, just like every person develops a reputation over time, things that they're known for, things that they're, they're known for being able to do well, or other things known for not doing so well at, organizations develop a reputation in a similar way. They become known for what they do. And if they are fulfilling their mission effectively, and they're doing that well, well then, the things that they're known for, their reputation, is going to 
be in alignment with what their mission statement declares as their purpose, right? So I want to do a little activity with us this morning, and I want to do this. I want to put out there, I want to name a couple of different organizations or businesses, and I want you to share some feedback. What is the first thought that comes to your mind? What is your, the impression that comes to your mind when we name these entities? And then we'll compare that to what their stated mission statement is, and let's see how, if they are in alignment or not. Okay? So, well, the first one I'll put out there is this. When you think of McDonald's, what is the first thing that comes to mind? What do you think about when you think about McDonald's? Just shout out a couple of sizes. What's that? Grease. <laughs> okay. What's that? Well, no, what's the first thing that comes to mind? What are, what are they known for? What is, what? Happy Meal? Yes. Oh, man. What's that? Bad tasting cheeseburgers? Big Mac? Somebody said, I think I heard hormones. Did somebody say hormones? <laughs> Hormone-infused cows? Ronald McDonald's? Fries? Okay. All right. Um, here's what their stated mission is. Their, McDonald's mission is to be our customer's favorite place in the way to eat and drink. I'm not sure they, I'm not sure they did a too good of a job at that. <laughs> How about this? Walmart. When you think of <laughs> the people of Walmart. When you think of Walmart, what do you think of that? <laughs> so you're saying that's your favorite place to go? Yes, I do. <laughs> Any other thoughts on Walmart? I'm, I'm sure it's a mixed review, but what's your personal... What's your, how do you identify with Walmart when you think about it? Newport Community Center? It's where you run into everybody? Yeah, contextually, yeah. The Evil Empire? <laughs> the Evil Empire. One more thought on Walmart? Adam, I see you're keeping your mouth shut. You're, you're kind of on the inside, so your opinion doesn't really count anyway. <laughs> what was yours? Ah, keeping you on your toes. Because they want you to walk around and see everything. So Walmart's mission is to save people money so they can live better. I'm not sure they have that reputation. What about this? How about Southwest Airlines? Southwest Airlines. Anybody have any thoughts? Or, or peanuts? Okay. Comical? Free luggage? Yeah, that's what I know them for. Cheerful staff. Yeah, okay. No reserve seating, yes. So Southwest Airlines' mission is to have the highest quality of customer service delivered with a sense of warmth, friendliness, individual pride, and company spirit. I think that's pretty accurate from my experience with them. You guys, from what you guys shared too. Uh, let's do a couple more. How about this? Starbucks. When you think Starbucks, what is your impression on thought? What? Overpriced coffee? Okay. Snobby baristas. How many people agree with snobby baristas? Oh, you guess. <laughs> uh, you don't. You don't get it. So you think Starbucks, and you think not for me. <laughs> 
So Starbucks' mission is to inspire and nurture the human spirit, one person, one cup, and one neighborhood at a time. <laughs> Evil Empire! <laughs> um, what about this? What do you think about when you think about the American Red Cross? What are they known for? Blood drives? Saving lives? Any other thoughts? Disaster relief. Yeah, so their, their mission is to prevent and alleviate human suffering in the face of emergencies by mobilizing the power of volunteers and generosity of donors. Pretty good. It's pretty good. Um, so what about this? Graceway. When you think about Graceway Community Church, what do we think about? Home, community, love, welcoming. Did you say cheese? Oh, Jesus. <laughs> Can you tell I didn't have breakfast this morning? <laughs> so those are all really cool things, um, except for the fact that we cannot really say what we're known for, because that doesn't count. We're, we're here. We're part of the community. We're part of the church. And so if we want to really know what our reputation is, what we're known for, we can't ask ourselves we have to actually, that would have to be brought to a third party. We need to go out and talk to the community. We need to talk to, you know, some of the staff over at the elementary school here or the nursing home or um, other neighbors to really find out what we're known for. But my question is this, is, is are, we, are we really known for being a loving community of people? But in order to do it, so we can't just kind of say like, okay, yeah, so we got a checklist. Yeah, we, we did this. We did this initiative. We we're, we're, we're always have somebody at the door with a smile and, a, and an embrace. So, so yeah, we're loving. No, we, can't, we can't judge that ourselves. We need the third-party feedback in order to get some valid, uh, some, some valid um, ideas on if we're actually accomplishing our mission. Our mission is to be loving, to love God and our neighbor, and to do that well, but are we really doing it? So last week we were talking about community. We talked about each of us being just one piece of a whole image, one piece that contributes into the complete whole puzzle, one image that's clearly displayed as all the pieces come together and are connected well. And the idea of when one piece is missing, that stands out in that image. There's a hole, there's a gap. And in the same way, when that one piece is apart from the whole, from the puzzle, you can't quite understand fully what that is until it becomes plugged in. Romans 12, 4-8 reads this way, For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members don't all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, we form one body, and each member belongs to the, all the others. We belong to all the others. Look at that verbiage. In verse 6 it says, We have different gifts according to the grace given to us. And if your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, then do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, then do it cheerfully. A tiny little snippet about what it looks like when the individual piece and the gifting that that holds, 
the part of the image that's contained in that one piece, belongs into the whole. And the instruction is, whatever your gifting is, give it. Use it. Do it. Activate. Plug in. Because it doesn't belong just kind of sitting in that heap. Activate. Activate. So now the body of Christ, the whole, becomes strong and truly reflecting who Christ is. Whatever your gift is, use it. Whatever you have, give it. We also mentioned, though, last week, the challenge that comes into play when we accept that because it, re- it requires us to give things up. It requires us to reorganize our priorities and live in a different way than we did before. We mentioned in Luke chapter 18 where the rich young ruler came and approached Jesus and said, what do I have to do? And Jesus said, okay, you've obeyed the law, you've done these things, go and sell all of your wealth, this is what you have, and give it to the poor and follow me. And he walked away in sadness because he wasn't willing to part with the old way. And Adam and I were talking after service, and he made an interesting observation, the fact that for that man, his wealth, that was his identity. For the thing that God had entrusted to him, the gift that he was given, he owned that, and he, he identified with that to the point where he was not willing to take it and give it into the whole. This is me. This is mine. I can't, I can't what, what would happen if, if I go without this? It's hard. Because we're reorganizing our priorities and is looking at things in a different way. It's taking what I have, and now stewarding what I have means giving it into something bigger than myself. Because when we come to Christ, we are something new. We are a new creation. We're, we're something. We're part of something and a mission that is, goes so far beyond what we can ever think or imagine on, on our own. There's something different altogether. And 1 Peter 2, verse 9, describes it in just a little nutshell where it says, you are a chosen people. Look at these adjectives they use to describe us, our identity now. This is who we are. A chosen people. A royal priesthood. A holy nation. God's special possession. We are a possession belonging to God so that we may declare the praises of him who called us out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once we were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And as a people of God, we have a new nationality, a new role, a new master, a new identity in in complete totality. We are new. And it's a spiritual reality the moment that we come to Christ, but yet we come to understand and grow into that identity in a, in, as we practice the new value system that comes with that new identity. It's a new way of life that the Bible thoroughly teaches and explains to us. As His church, we are a special people who the Holy Spirit is forming together into a community. And that's our purpose now a community in fellowship with God, with one another, and with His creation. Complete harmony. And this forming of a new community started back in the book of Acts, where it talks about us in our, in our earliest days as God's church. And it describes people of devotion, 
power, passion, and love. How we lived in great joy and generosity with boldness. And how the, it talks about how the power of the Holy Spirit was alive and well, moving and breathing in and through that community of believers. Through their togetherness. But somehow, we find ourselves today largely missing a lot of what we read about there. It doesn't have to be that way, but right now, it just is. This is the situation we're at. The difference is not the times that we live in, because God's power is still here today. It's still accessible. It's still available the same way that it was then. The difference is how we are choosing to live. Not together, but more at arm's length, where it's a little bit more comfortable. I need some room to kind of spread out here. I want people to get too close into the comfort zone, into my bubble. Let's just keep people. Let's just keep people where I can see them. Sometimes hear them, but then sometimes just shut the door and keep it all out. We're living now as individual entities of Christ followers, rather than experiencing our true identity as one people of God. Because in this new identity that we all have come to to be part of, giving away the old identity and coming into the new, it's a shared identity. We are all part of the body. It's not something we experience in isolation. But man, when we don't connect, when we don't plug in the way that we have been designed to and intended to, how much goes missing? How fragmented our experience as believers really is. We are called to live together and love one another, to be known for love. But how can we even think or come close to achieving that mission if we rarely come close to one another? I was listening to the story of a man by the name of Adam Grant, and he had been a, uh, uh, in college, he was a competitive diver. He tells of the story that he was at this competition, and he, and he took his dive and did all his flips and somersaults and whatnot, and he felt pretty good about it. He thought he did a, a pretty good job until he got up out of the water and he looks over at the judges' table and he sees the scores come up on the screen. Two, 2.5, and then the third one, he was baffled, 0.5. He said, I didn't even know you could score that low in diving. <laughs> and so he was shocked. He, he thought, sure, he did better than that, but the truth is, when you're flipping and twisting and flying through the air, you can't quite judge your own performance very well. You can't see yourself. This is what the judges panel is there for. They're there to see and observe. And they all saw the same thing clearly, except that last judge with that point five. But can you imagine if just a bunch of divers would, would go to a competition and just kind of measure their performance by how they felt they were doing? That felt pretty good. That, pro- that felt solid. I'm going to give myself a 9.5. That's absurd. There's no way to to truly measure exactly how they did except by what the judges, the people who are observing, and they're with you, what they see. But Adam said that afterwards he reviewed the video of his dive and he saw exactly what the judges saw and he understood why they scored him the way that they did because he was able to now watch himself. In our walk with God, we are not meant to travel alone. We are one community that all share this fundamental oneness, common values and common mission, and we develop together 
as we, as we grow in the sense of sympathy and compassion and empathy for each other, and we need one another to grow. We need one another to, to get honest feedback about how are we doing, how are we living, because we can't quite see ourselves accurately from where we stand. We need our brothers and sisters. In Hebrews 10.24, it, it reads this way, And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. In Romans 14, let us therefore make every effort, think of that intensity, let us make every effort to do what leads to peace and mutual edification. Without having a dependable brother or sister by our side, it can be very easy to forget who we are, forget our identity as God's people and what it means to live as God's people. It's easy to get disoriented or kind of create our own impression of who we are and how we're doing with that. But it goes even deeper than that. Because how you live as a believer affects us all. We are one. And how I live, in turn, affects you, the whole. I belong to you. And you belong to me. How we live truly does affect one another. This is why we have instructions like in Galatians 6, 1 and 2. If someone is caught in sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. But watch yourselves, or you also may be tempted. In verse 2, carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. This goes deeper. This is not about behavior. This goes deeper than, than what we are doing. It's more about who we are. It's about being who we have been made. Luke 10 uh, gives us a story about the Good Samaritan that probably many of us are very familiar with. And that, that exchange between the, the, the uh, expert in the law and Jesus and then the parable of the Good Samaritan, that whole lesson there is really what our church's mission and vision kind of come out of. So in Luke chapter 10, this man comes and asks Jesus, what do I need to do to inherit life? And Jesus said, you're an expert in the law, you tell me. And he said, well, love God and love your neighbor. And Jesus said, yes, you're exactly right. So the man runs to now the question of, okay, got it. Who's my neighbor? And then Jesus goes into the parable to tell him about the Samaritan, the, the, the man who was traveling. There was a man traveling down the road and was attacked by a band of thieves and robbers and then was, was stripped and left half dead in the road. And three people crossed his path. The first two, who are supposed to be the religious ones looked up to in society, avoided intentionally and walked the other way, whereas the Samaritan, who was seen as the enemy, came and lifted him, cared for his wounds, brought him to an inn, paid for his stay and his caretaking. And, and um, he, then he asked the expert in the law, you tell me who is the neighbor to that man. And of course, the Samaritan, right? We have to look at what Jesus did here because the man says, who is my neighbor? In other words, he's looking, what do I have to do? I know I have to love God and my neighbor, so, okay, now I have to, now who's my neighbor though? Because then I know who to pay attention to and how to treat that person that is my neighbor. He's looking at what to do. 
And Jesus flips around the whole entire question. It's not about doing anything. Who's the neighbor? The one who went out of his way and took initiative to care for the one that was in need. It's not about doing things. It's about being. Be a neighbor. Don't try to qualify who is your neighbor. You be a neighbor. And as the body of Christ, it's about being who we are being made into. This spiritual reality coming into a practical, physical reality in the here and now, and not just waiting for the Lord to return and then just swift, swip us all away. This is a reality that we can move towards and walk into even in the here and now. And the Bible makes it very clear. This is something that he wants us to be intentional with. This is now our aim. This is our mission. We carry the Father's DNA within us. And so we've been shown mercy. So what do we do? This is part of us now. We show mercy. The things that we do ought to reflect the one who has made us new. But even though we are new, we are new creation, we're different than we ever used to be, that old person, those old habits, those old tendencies still try to kind of make their way out and want to affect our thinking and our, and our actions. And we need to be reminded of who we are. We need to be aware of what we're actually doing. Because when, we're, when we have certain habits, these are things that we do without much thought. It's a habit. We just go through the motions. And when we're not aware of that, we need someone in humility and gentleness to now make us aware of how we are living. And saying, hey, is that really a loving thing to be doing? Is that really something that is reflecting the character of God? If we take seriously the values and identity that we've been given by God, then we now have to live as an, as an interdependent and interrelated community. And this is tricky because we're, we're quick to ask God for help with things, for provision or to help with removing sin or, or addictions that just seem to kind of want to linger. But at the same time, we tend to be closed off from one another, remaining in privacy or, or secrecy in regards to the things that we're pleading to the Lord about. We shy away and we don't let anyone speak into our lives, forgetting that God answers our prayers with one another. So that makes me ask the question is this, if we reject or remove ourselves or keep at arm's length the body, are we rejecting the answer to our own prayers? I ask God for help. He gives me you. And I hide away. Is he not answering the prayer or am I not receiving it? Because I want to answer it a different way. We don't tell God what the answer to our own question and our own request is. We, he knows the formula. He knows what we need. We have to trust that our good and loving Father will give us everything that we truly need. We have to be open, too, to, to, to learning from one another. Because each of us really can be an instrument of the Holy Spirit as He works in us to develop us to spiritual maturity. And so instead of hiding our sin or our weaknesses, the Bible instructs us to confess to one another. 
And in that confession brings strength and healing. In James 5.16 it says, Therefore confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you can judge each other. Oh, wait, nope. No, sorry. So that you may be healed. We confess so that we can receive prayer, healing, support from the body. Because he says the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Where, why is the power missing? Because we're not living the way that the Bible prescribes. Uh, there was a pastor during the World War II by the name of Dietrich Bonhoeffer, and he said, confession is breakthrough to community. Confession is breakthrough to community. Secrecy and privacy threaten and prohibit our community. Secrecy enables and empowers the sin that wants to remain hidden and in the darkness. But our strength is found when Christ's light shines in every area of our life. But it's not easy. It's incredibly hard and, and humbling to come, and especially if we're the one initiating, to come and say, hey, I've been, I, I have to talk to you, I've, just, I've been struggling with this. To actually put ourselves out there and become vulnerable with a trusted brother or sister about an issue that we've been having. But it's so, we're so desperate for it. We are so in need of it. We need that accountability. And the accountability doesn't just come through confession, though that is a powerful way. It comes through confession, but it also comes from learning to listen well. We started out today by asking, what are we known for? But just like we're talking about here with, with the divers, that's not, we can't judge our own performance. We can't judge what we're known for. We need to learn to listen to those around us. It has to be answered by the ones by whom we are known. And then the question is, are we listening to what they have to say? Or are we disqualifying their feedback and justifying ourselves? Because our pride is very quick to do that. Another quote from Bonhoeffer, he said this, the beginning of love in the church is learning to listen. How are we as a church at listening? How do we do? How many, I'm curious to know how many people in this room feel that generally speaking, churches or Christians um, are loving well and, and, and doing a good job at treating people the way that Jesus did. By a raise of hands. How many think the church is doing a good job overall? Churches in general. Yeah. Everywhere. One hand. Two? Two hands. Three. Okay. Let me ask you this. So that means the vast majority of us in this room would say, let's put a positive spin. There's lots of room for improvement. <laughs> So let me ask you this. If we are aware of a lack and a, and a poor reflection of Christ's image on this earth by believers, by the body, how many of us have shared honest feedback and criticism with a believer? Again, two, three, four, a few. It's good. We need it. We need it. We need more of that. We need to get to a place where we're hungry for feedback, even when it feels like a, a stinging pinch in, punch in the gut for the first minute. 
We need feedback. We need to know what people are actually seeing and experiencing. We need to know what we're doing. We need to be aware of how we are living. There was um, a manager by the name of Kieran Raw. He was a manager at a company by the name of Bridgewater Associates, right? And he was at this big meeting with 200 of the highest level managers. Um, and while they're at that meeting, they, were, they had done an evaluation and reviewing of performances of all the managers. And it was announced there in front of the 200 people uh, that Kieran was the absolute worst manager in the entire company. Right over the microphone in front of everybody as he's sitting right there. And you think, man, if you had been in that position, standing before everyone and said, you suck the worst more than anybody else in this entire company. <laughs> How would that make you feel? It's, yeah, not only, not only embarrassing, but that doesn't even seem appropriate to announce in public, in front of everyone. But after this had happened, and he was interviewed, Kieran was interviewed, he said this, it felt great. He said, the experience left me energized and ready to work hard to improve. See, negative feedback, it really is hard to hear because it comes across to us as, as a threat or an insult. And when we receive threats or an insult, there is something physiologically that happens in us, the way that we receive information, and it causes us to tense up. Like we have this, this kind of like that fight or flight reactionary. It, it affects the way we receive that information. We tighten our shoulders or our, our heart speeds up. There's shortness of breath. It touches like a nerve in us when we receive this kind of feedback. And so this type of, in, of situation in, in animals, like so in an ape, it would cause them to beat their chest. Or in a peacock, it would cause them to, to strut. But studies have been done to see that we've learned that we as humans, we react, but we react differently. When we are given negative feedback, our pride or our ego actually takes over and twists and changes the information around that we are receiving so that we're not even understanding the actual message and communication that's being put out. It gets twisted or tainted in our mind. And it's, it's a way that our pride almost shields us from acknowledging why we're wrong, why we need to fix something and change. We understand something totally different. So the feedback that Kieran received that, that day, that was normal for that particular company. And there's a reason for that. The owner of that company, his name is Ray, Ray Dalio. And he started the company in the 1970s. And when he did, it had immense success in the first few years. And then, all of a sudden, quickly crashed to the point where he had to fire his friends. He he didn't even have the money to pay his own bills. He had to take a loan of thousands of dollars from his father to feed his family and keep his household going. He said it was extremely humiliating for him. But what he realized what had happened. He said, I was working in isolation. He said, because pride and arrogance got the best of me and no one was there to keep me in check. No one was there to keep me accountable. And so the way that he ran that business, it ended up taking him right into the ground. 
But later on, he ended up restarting the company and he decided that that would never happen again because one of their core values was going to be something that he called radical transparency. Radical transparency. That's one of their top values. And what it is, it requires that everyone be brutally honest with each other, even himself as the owner, to just put it out there. What they're thinking, let it be known so we can figure out, okay, is that accurate? Is what you're thinking true? And then if it is, what do we need to do about it? It's a system that helps everybody constantly be growing, improving, not insulting one another because the reason we share it is for the betterment of you. And when you get better, the whole gets better. So one of the things that Ray said is he thinks one of the biggest tragedies of mankind is that people hold their opinions in their heads. Now, I don't know if I would go that extreme because there's a lot of times where it's only appropriate. Keep that to yourself. (laughs) But when we have a community that is supposed to be so one as the body of Christ, we need to be able to communicate and share with one another honest and accurate feedback. Because if you see somebody walking around bleeding all over the place and they don't even know it, are you going to let them continue to walk with that injury or are you going to run and address the wound and care for that need in that person? One of the quotes from Ray is that he said, everyone likes to walk around and give high fives and greet each other and smile at each other, but no one is dealing with the things that need to be dealt with. And he himself would would receive a lot of this kind of negative feedback After one of their meetings that he held, he received an email from an employee named Jim. And it read this way, Ray, you deserve a D- for your performance today. You rambled for 50 minutes and it was obvious to us all that you did not prepare at all. Today was really bad. We cannot let this happen again. This is, he's speaking to the owner. He said, to the owner, we can't let this happen again. Why would they treat each other this way? Why would they speak like that, so, like, blunt? Because they care for each other, and they care for the success of the company. That's why. So Ray took that email, and he, he presented it before others, and he said, How do you, what do you think about the meeting? And he got similar feedback from every person that he asked. So then he realized, I did a horrible job at that meeting. Thank you for opening my eyes to that. I will make sure that that never happens again. So that's what he told Jim. He said, I'll do better next time. Jim said to him, I can't trust you to do that. And Ray's response was, I can't trust me to do that either. Thank you. So now they've developed this habit where before every meeting, Jim actually calls Ray to talk about it and and hold him accountable, and it's been wonderful ever since. Imagine an environment where you can go up to the absolute top person in the organization and say, "You, you are horrible, and he can say, oh, thank you for telling me that. But that's an environment of continual improvement because you're not there to cut each other down. The only reason you share that feedback is to find out, is it true? And if it is, I want to know it. Now what can I do about it? In the body of Christ, we have to give each other feedback. But too often, we don't know each other well enough to even stand and say, hey, um, I saw this happen. I don't know what the real deal was, but this is the impression I got. I don't know if he meant it. Start the hard conversations, not out of judgment but in humility. Because when one person hurts, the whole body is affected. And when the whole body is affected, then what we're known for is going to be something other than what God wants us to be known for. The image that we're portraying to the world is not going to be His. 
It's going to be ours, humanly. It's not something that we want to do. We really can learn to give honest feedback and desire it, actually crave to receive it when our pride actually gets removed out of the picture. The possibilities increase immensely. That company ended up um, succeeding so well that today it is considered the most successful hedge fund company in the world. And Ray is one of the, the, most, the richest people on the planet Earth at this time. Crazy. Our mission as a church is to love well and demonstrate the character of Christ. And if we want to accomplish that mission, we need each other. I can't just go out these doors and assume I'm doing a good job. I need you guys on my back. I need you to tell me what's up and what, what you're seeing. Is that off? Is that out of alignment with the character of Christ? I need to know that. Because if I do, then I'm going to do something about it. Psalm 19, 12 and 13. You might want to jot this one down to look up later. It says this, Psalm 19, 12 and 13. But who can discern their own errors? Forgive my hidden faults. Keep your servant also from willful sins. May they not rule over me. Then I will be blameless, innocent of great transgression. We don't see what others see. And I don't know about you, but if I have a, a booger hanging out of my nose, I would like someone to tell me about it. Yeah. <laughs> there you are. I know the two of you do, because you've done it many times. <laughs> if I'm walking around with a piece of toilet paper on my shoe, can you please say something? <laughs> like, we have to be the kind of people that are going to be like, ooh, that's going to be awkward to get it out of my mouth, but I just got to say it because I care about you that much. Or let, well, I don't mind that as long as it hurts. <laughs> no, I'm kidding, but we have to be this kind of people. The kind of people that are going to have the hard conversations because we know that it's going to be received in humility, it's going to be given in humility, and it's all with positive intent. This is one of the things as the staff, what we talk about in staff, we always, when any kind of communication or emails, we always assume positive intent. We don't necessarily know the frame of mind that a message is being communicated with. So if I, if I were tempted to take offense to it, I'm going to say, no, I'm going to, this person has my best interest at heart. I'm going to go and talk through this. And as the body of Christ, of course, we have each other's best interest at heart. This is how we will grow stronger. It strengthens us individually and as a whole. So the question is this, are we willing to receive hard, honest feedback without taking it as an attack? without being threatened? Can we go deeper than the high fives and actually share, share constructive criticism and humility? Can we care for each other's well-being enough to speak to the areas where we're off? We need each other, both support and prayer, as well as this accountability. It stings at times, at first, but it allows us to see things that we wouldn't see otherwise. Our ego will want to kick in and, and defend us and disqualify any negative feedback, but we have to trust one another enough to receive it and reflect and consider it. 
and then we'll realize that honest feedback is the greatest gift that we can receive from one another. It's like shining that light into an area that we didn't see what was there. Show me. So my challenge that I want to leave you with this week is not to go and criticize and share your feedback with each other. No. What my challenge is this week is this. Go and seek out feedback. Invite it in. Prepare your hearts and ask someone that you know and trust. Your spouse or some, even someone I would say other than your spouse because I'm sure... If anybody gives you honest feedback, it's your husband or your wife. I know in my case, yes, that's where I get the most brutally honest feedback. (laughs) Yes, you care so much for me, dear. (laughs) But go and seek someone out that you trust or you really think that you can trust and ask them, where are my blind spots? Where am I not loving well? How am I not putting others first? Go and seek out this feedback and invite it in. And you'll be surprised the conversations that you'll have and how refreshed you walk away from that experience. And in many cases, you'll probably get that same question asked back to you. Can you show me now where I'm not loving well? But this is my challenge to you from the, to, as we go into this week. Go and ask these questions to someone you know and trust. How am I not loving well? I need to know where I'm off. Let's pray. God, I thank you for the gift of one another. I'm grateful that when you called me into the body of Christ, um, you called me to be in a community and not alone in my house. You made me something part of something greater. And Lord, I pray that you would help us to now tap into the fullness and the power that exists in this body. That it would not go dormant, remaining, just kind of covered up and not even recognized, but that we would engage one another, learning about one another, continually seeking one another's betterment, improvement, strengthening, that your power and your Holy Spirit would would be made alive in us, God. That we would no longer dampen the power of the Holy Spirit. But now we would would, um, be putting fuel to the flame. You can awaken us all the more. Let us be awakened by one another's feedback. Let us receive it in humility, Lord, and offer it in surrender to you. Not seeking to do things better, but seeking what do we need to lay at the foot of the cross? Where am I off? I want to surrender that to God so that you, Lord, can have your way in us more fully, more thoroughly. Continue, Lord, to refine us and have your complete way in us. We're yours. We are your possession, your holy nation. Thank you so much, Jesus. In your name we pray, amen.